Well, good morning, Gospel Hope, and welcome to another installment of our sermon series here through the book of Daniel called Exiles. And we've been talking the last couple weeks about how we as believers can live faithfully in a fallen world. And we're going to continue that trend here as we look at Daniel chapter 3. This is a familiar Bible story. If you've grown up in Sunday school or had your grandma tell you stories from the scripture, this is one that you've probably heard before. But I hope that we'll see how this story remains extremely relevant for the moment that we find ourselves in today. So the title of the message is simply this, Courage Under Fire. So let's pray and then we'll jump into God's word together. Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us and I just pray right now that you would help us from your word be encouraged to live above our fears. I thank you for this beautiful story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they were able to stand against King Nebuchadnezzar and trust in you. And I pray this would call us to rest in you during this time of uncertainty that we find ourselves in. Oh Lord, would you open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The final battle of World War II was called the Battle of Okinawa. And in many people's minds, this was the bloodiest of all of the battles that happened during that time. It started on April 1st, 1945, and didn't conclude until June 22nd. In that battle, over 300 soldiers, both Allied and Japanese soldiers, battled it out. And it was much, much of the fighting was brutal, hand-to-hand, -hand, close combat battle. Well, one interesting story kind of emerged out of that, a story of heroism. All those that fought in that were heroic, but one particular story has recently come to light, and that was the story of Corporal Desmond T. Doss. He was an army medic, and for religious reasons, he didn't feel good about raising a gun towards the enemy, so oftentimes he would enter into the battle completely unarmed. Uh, his unit retreated from the battle, but Doss asked permission to stay behind so he could tend and care for the wounded. And while his unit left, he stayed and one by one went back into the fray of the battle with bullets whizzing all around him and enemy soldiers on every side and rescued 75 people who were wounded during the course of that battle. Uh, that story was captured recently in the film Hacksaw Ridge in 2015. Well, stories of courage can be incredibly inspiring, and rightfully so, because we are keenly aware that the world in which we live can be a scary place. And never has that been truer than it is for us today. Many today are struggling with feelings of anxiety because the world seems so full of tension. Many are struggling with deep fears because of uncertainty about the future. Many are genuinely nervous about their career because of the ever-shifting, changing landscape that we find ourselves in. Many are nervous for the impact this season is having on their family. And many are overwhelmed with all kinds of emotions, from anger to despair, because life simply seems out of control. Here's the simple reality and the truth that we all need to realize in this unique season in our culture. Fear is the air we breathe. It's just everywhere. The world feels like a terribly fearful place. And this is exactly why Daniel chapter 3 is so relevant for us today. Because in this passage of scripture, 
we see three young men who are able in the midst of a very fearful situation to rise above those fears and live by faith in who God is and what he has promised. So let me kind of give you a recap of this story if you've never heard it before. So let me give you a quick Reader's Digest version of how this story unfolds. So after Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are kidnapped, taken away from their homeland, and abducted, put in Babylon, they quickly begin to rise to prominence. They find favor with the king because Daniel's ability to interpret his dreams. So there, these people go from slaves one moment, and all of a sudden, they are given an exalted position in the empire. Then, King Nebuchadnezzar, perhaps inspired by the dream that he had, erects a giant statue, probably an idol to the god Bel or Marduk, the Babylonian gods. He builds this thing 90 feet high, and then he commands all of his officials to assemble on the plain of Dura and bow down before this idol. So everybody's gathered there, the band is there, and Nebuchadnezzar says, now. So the band plays, and thousands of people gathered there on the scene fall down before this giant statue, except three. There stand the holy rebels, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When everybody else is bowing down to this god, they're standing there. Nebuchadnezzar calls them over and says, what are you doing? Maybe you misunderstood my command. Maybe you didn't get what you were supposed to do. But here's what you're supposed to do. When you hear the music play, you are supposed to bow down. So he gives them another chance. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, King, you don't need to give us another chance at all. We will not worship your God or bow down to him. This causes Nebuchadnezzar to fly into a fury. So he grabs Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or has his guards do so, binds them up and says, throw them in the fiery furnace. Execute them right now. So they do so. They heat it up way beyond what is necessary to kill somebody. I mean, this is how mad Nebuchadnezzar is. They throw them in, and the guards in the process are killed. Uh, this shows the barbarity of Nebuchadnezzar a little bit, and we'll get to that in just a moment. And in go Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, everybody expecting their death, except for they don't die. They're unharmed. They're unscathed. And Nebuchadnezzar looks over at the fiery furnace and says, wait, didn't I put three people in there? There's four in there. And the last one doesn't look like everyone else. Pull them out. So they bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out, and Nebuchadnezzar is forced to realize that these men have been delivered by their God. Nebuchadnezzar, at that point in the story, acknowledges that the Lord is God and there is no one like him. So there's the recap of the story. And essentially, this passage is so relevant because here's what happened. I hope you caught it. These three young men stare death in the face and they don't flinch. I don't even know if they blinked. These three young men showed incredible courage. And in this scary season, in this fearful culture in which we live, we could all use a dose of that kind of courage. So that raises a question, at least in my mind, where does that type of courage come from? Was it just that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were particularly brave individuals? 
well, maybe that's the case, but I think something more is going on. And I think we get a clue of it in the way that they respond to the king when Nebuchadnezzar confronts them for not bowing down to his idol. Look at Daniel chapter 3, verse number 17. Here is the response of the three Hebrew young men. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. Did you catch that? It seems that these young men were more focused on the character of their God than the severity of their circumstances. Their eyes were fixed on who their God was and what he was able to do, rather than how tough the situation they found themselves in. And it was a doozy. But to put it very simply, listen to this idea. It's a big concept that we're going to be talking about here today. Fearlessness is fueled by faith. Fearlessness is fueled by faith. Maybe Shad, Rack, and Benny were tight, so I can call them that, okay? Actually, I got tired of typing out their names so many times, so I shortened them in a couple of places. Uh, maybe they did have a penchant for boldness. I don't know. But when threatened with death, they made an explicitly theological statement. They essentially said to Nebuchadnezzar, not we're super brave, we're super bold. They said, here's who God is, and here is what he can do. Which leads me to my point this morning. We must live by faith, even in fearful situations. Or maybe I could put it this way. We must live by faith, especially in fearful situations. Look, these three young men were able to stand up to the most powerful human being in the world at that point. They were able to look death right in the eye and come out unscathed because they had a deep abiding faith in who their God was. Maybe they were bold, maybe they were naturally brave, I don't know, but I do know that their faith was fueled by something and it seems to be their faith in the character of God. So I want to look at three specific things that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed about their God. So if you're taking notes, simply this, faith-fueled fearlessness, where does it come from? Number one, we need to believe this, that God is working. I think that's the first thing that you see in this passage. These three young men seem to believe that God was at work even when their situation was bleak. Throughout the story of Daniel and his friends, the primary actor in the book is not Daniel, it's not Shadrach, it's not Meshach, it's not Abednego, it's not Nebuchadnezzar. The primary actor in the book of Daniel is God himself. You say, where do you get that, Ryan? Well, let's run through it. Daniel chapter 1, verse number 2. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim over to Judah, over to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 1, verse number 9. God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Daniel chapter 1, verse number 17. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding. Then Jan Daniel chapter 2, verse number 37. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and glory. You get the point. And boy, did these young men need to remember this truth. Because up to this point in the story, they had been put through the ringer. Remember, in chapter 1, they are taken from their home and everything that is familiar to them and deported to a land that is not theirs. Then we get into the chapter, and once they're there, they're told that they must violate their dietary laws and participate in the culture, the idolatrous culture of Babylon. 
Then, after they escape that dilemma, in, in chapter 2 of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and threatens to kill them if they can't interpret it. And then here we go again in Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar decides to build a statue. And by the way, if you don't bow down to the statue, he's going to kill you. It seems like Nebuchadnezzar is a bit of a one-trick pony. And when he doesn't get his way, he's like, I'm going to kill you. That's all he ever does. So time and time again, these young men are threatened by a pagan barbaric regime. And how do they respond? Courage. Courage. Why? Because I think they were convinced that even in the midst of their bleak circumstances, God was at work. It's almost as if on that day when that statue was erected and everybody was told to bow down, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of looked around at the crowd, kind of gave their shoulders a shrug and said, well, man, I wonder what the Lord is going to do here because we can't bow down to that idol. He must have something pretty awesome planned. I know that he is at work. God better figure a way out of this jam for us. You know, we need to have a confidence. We need to have a confidence that no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, God is at work. And that will give us courage to face even really scary things. Daniel explained it this way back in chapter 2, verse number 20. May the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. Now notice this, verse number 23, or 21. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. Daniel and his friends knew that God was always at work. I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were convinced that God did not take his hand off the wheel when their homeland was conquered. I think they knew that God was at work when they were put under the jurisdiction of this cruel dictator. I think they knew that God had a plan for them when they stood alone on the plain of Dura in front of this 90-foot idol. They certainly didn't know the end of the story, but I think they believed that though God's plans are not always evident, they are always excellent. That was true for them and it's true for us. You may not be able to see God's plan. It's not always evident. But God always does have a plan. And he is always at work in your life. It is always excellent. Here's the application. We find ourselves today in a situation filled with potential uncertainties and fears. It's tempting in times like this to believe that God has fallen asleep at the wheel. But I think in times such as this, we, God is asking us this question. Can you trust that I am at work even when your circumstances are difficult? Gospel Hope, can you do that? Can you trust that God is at work even when your circumstances are difficult? Not just when things are going well. Can you trust that God is at work when the wheels are falling off, when life seems out of control, when you are careening down the interstate? Can you trust that God is at work even then? I've shared this with you before, but I, I don't think I can say it any better. John Piper said it this way. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. Can you have that conviction in your heart that God is at work in your life even when you don't see it? Now, here's the reality, and here's why this is hard to do. We can be fearless even when situations are fearful. And yet, 
the world tries to distort our vision. And I'm going to put an image up on the screen right now, and I want you to just quickly glance at that image. And here's the question I'd like you to respond to. Which one of these people appears taller? Okay, right now in the comments, put R for right, person on your right, and L for the person on your left. Type it in the comments. This is not a trick question. It's really obvious and simple. So right now in the comments, put that in. Now, I want you to take a second look at that picture and look a little bit more carefully. You notice it, it, it's very obviously the person on your right looks taller. But the reality is if you look on the face of that person, you see that it's a, it's a child. And then look over on the person on the left. That person is a grown woman. That's, that's an adult over there. So even though the person on the right looks taller, the reality is she is actually smaller. This is an optical illusion known as an Ames room. And what this illusion does is essentially distort the relative size of things. And look, this is a great illustration of what happens to us when we engage struggles and difficulties in the world. Our world often distorts the size of things. All of a sudden, we get in the world and we see the tension, we see the uncertainty, we see the fears, and those things look humongous. Our temptation is to see our fear and uncertainty as huge. And God is kind of itty-bitty. He's small. But the reality is this. God is really big, and our problems in relationship to him are really small. What we need to get our minds around is even when our perception is disordered is this. The wisdom of our God is always bigger than the difficulty of our circumstances. The wisdom of our God is always bigger than the difficulty of our circumstances. If we are to be truly courageous in a fallen world, we must learn to follow suit with what these three young men did and say, no, you know what? No matter how big the problem is, there's a giant statue, but our God is bigger than that. There's a king who has power over the known world right now, but our God is bigger than that. He is threatening us with death, but that is nothing compared to the size and the power of our God. If we are be to be courageous in a fallen all in word, we must embrace this reality that our God is bigger than our problems. The second thing that these young men also believed is not only is God is, is God working, they also believe that God is worthy. <laughs> After they refused to bow down and, and kind of defy Nebuchadnezzar's wishes, the king summoned them and just listened to these youngsters' plucky response. I love it. Verse number 17. If the God we serve exists, and I can almost hear them saying, and he does, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. Now that is courage. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were utterly convinced that God was worthy of their worship. No one else was. Only God. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, it doesn't matter what you do to us. It doesn't matter how great this statue is. It doesn't matter if you threaten our death. We will not bow down to you because there is only one who is worthy. They believe that in their gut. And they should. 
because that is the message of the Bible. Psalm 96, verses 4 and 5. And these would have been scriptures that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had access to. For the Lord is great and highly praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse number 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one else besides you. No matter how big the idol or how unpopular the belief in the greatness of our God is, nothing changes the greatness of God. Nothing. It doesn't matter the opposition. It doesn't matter how strong the idol look. Nothing changes the greatness of our God. And here's the irony. Nebuchadnezzar at some level knew this. Just back up a few verses. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse number 47. So Daniel has just interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream that nobody else could interpret. And here's what the king, Nebuchadnezzar himself, says. Nebuchadnezzar said to Daniel, your God is indeed God of gods and Lord of kings. Huh. I mean, that, that is an accurate theological statement if ever there was one. But here's the thing that Nebuchadnezzar got wrong. Nebuchadnezzar thought somehow he could kind of split his allegiance. In other words, he could honor and worship the one true and only God, the God of the scriptures, when it felt convenient to him. And then on other occasions when it floated his boat or fit, fit his fancy, he could worship Bel or Marduk or himself, whatever the case. He was like, you know what? I can worship a little bit of Jehovah and I can worship a little bit of my Babylonian pantheon of gods. But here's the thing. God will not share his glory. He alone is worthy. The Lord will be God over all or not at all. God won't be a piecemeal God. He wants all of us, or, he or we can't have any of him. The Lord will be God over all or not at all. He's jealous, and he will not share glory that belongs to him alone. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego realized this, so they unequivocally, they unequivocally expressed loyalty to the Lord. In their mind, all other of their allegiances, all other honor, all other loyalty was secondary at best. And let me tell you something, it wasn't even close. Here's the implication. In this season where it seems that our culture is hellbent on cramming Christians into one camp or another, we must remember that God alone is worthy. The Lord is the only one who is truly worthy. It should be crystal clear to others in the way that we speak, in the way that we post on Facebook, in the way that we interact in conversations, that we are far more committed to the Lord than we are to anything else. Now, I'm certainly not saying that you shouldn't have opinions. I'm not saying that you shouldn't think through issues or engage politically or engage socially. That is not what I'm saying. Hear me clearly on this one. But what I am saying is this. It should be obvious where your ultimate loyalty lies. Your friends, your family, the people that you engage with should know what matters most to you. And that should be the exaltation and worship of the God of the Bible. Listen to this statement. 
No matter who holds positions of power, the Lord must hold the allegiance of our hearts. No matter who holds positions of power, the Lord must hold the allegiance of our hearts. Faith in God's worthiness, that God alone was king, that God alone was in charge, that enabled them to stand with courage when everyone else was literally on their face bowing down. It allowed them to be bold and brave and courageous in a very, very fallen, fearful situation. And friends, we can do the same thing if we embrace this idea that God alone is worthy. Listen to this idea. Though his name is not on any ballot, our king has already won. Let's remember that. Let's remember that our king has won. He is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of our allegiance. He is worthy of our loyalty. And let us not bow down to anything else. Yes, you can think about things. You can prefer things. You can have thoughts and opinions. But ultimately, Christ is our king. And we must show our allegiance and loyalty fundamentally to him. Number three, God is not only working God is not only worthy, but God is willing. I know it's a bit of a stretch, but I needed another W, so bear with me. I mean, we have to preach these things all the time, so you can only think of so many letters. When these three young men declared their allegiance to God and defied Nebuchadnezzar's order, they made a fascinating statement. We read it earlier, but I want you to look at it with a slightly different lens. Look at verse 17 again. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. In, in other words, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were expressing faith that God was fully capable and willing to help them out in their deepest time of need. These men in part showed courage because they believed that help was on the way. God was not unconcerned or separated from their plight. He was right there with them. They believed that God was eager to jump in. I, I don't know about you, but in elementary school, we would have these review games oftentimes when we studied for a quiz or test. And they would have us like kind of sit in our desk and they would say, hop up, you know, as soon as you know the answer. Well, myself being a competitive individual, I would get like right on the very edge of my seat, like practically none of me sitting on the seat. So as soon as they asked the question, boom, I could be up out of my seat and ready to answer the question. In a sense, I think this is the picture, this is the portrayal, this is the vision of God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. They were like, you know, God's on the edge of his seat. He's ready to hop up at any time. He's ready to jump in and run to our aid. God is not unconcerned about us. He's willing. He's ready. He's able to assist us in our time of crisis. And for good reason, they believe that. Just Read the Bible. Once again, here's some passage of scripture that they would have had access to. Psalm chapter 46, verse number one. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Psalm 85, verses five and seven. For you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. Verse seven, I call on you in the day of my distress. Why? For you will answer me. The biblical portrait of God is a painting of somebody who is 
willing to show up and help his people. And boy, did he ever show up in this passage. Look down at chapter uh, 3, verse number 23. <coughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. So their hands are tied up and they're thrown into the furnace. I mean, it looks like the end for them. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men and they're not tied. They're walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. And how does the king respond? Verse number 28, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God, for there is no other God who is able to deliver like him. Nebuchadnezzar is preaching a sermon, and then because he's Nebuchadnezzar and he can't help himself, he adds verse number 29, therefore I issue a decree that any one of my people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made of a garbage dump. Seriously? This guy can't help but threaten people. I think it's just in his blood in some way. He just loves to say, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to give you certain death. But here's the point. Child of God, no matter how it feels, no matter how it looks, no, no matter what your perception is, the Lord cares about your situation. He cares about your plight. Listen. He is not reluctant. He is ready. He is not cold. He is compassionate. He is not indifferent. He is intent. He is not distant. He is devoted. He is not absent. He is able. I can do this all day. The Lord is involved in the affairs of his people. He cares about us. He is willing to help us. Too often, too often. And I'm so guilty of this myself. We look at our circumstances. We look at our difficulties. We look at the uncertainty. We look at our fears and we think God must be unconcerned. But, but friends, that's just bad theology. It's not what the Bible teaches. God is attentive to your prayers, not aloof from your cares. That's for Pastor Rod because it rhymes and I know he likes that. God is attentive to your prayers, not aloof from your cares. You might hear this and say, well, sure, sure. I mean, that was definitely true in this story. I mean, they needed God's help and he showed up. But Pastor Ryan, let's be honest. I've prayed for things before. I've needed God's help before and he just didn't come through for me. What do I do with that? Here's the thing. I need you to put on your big boy theological pants here for a moment. Think about this with me. Because God is all wise and he's all knowing and he's all powerful, he knows everything, he can do anything, he is in control of all things, he is sovereignly orchestrating the universe the way that he wants to. Sometimes he doesn't come to our aid in the way we expect him to because he's actually looking out for our best interests. Sometimes God doesn't do what you want him to because it is for your good. Think of all the times 
Just stop and think for a moment of all the times that God did not answer your prayers. And in retrospect, as you think about some of those prayers, you're actually grateful that he didn't. If we can see that, if hindsight is 2020, the all-knowing, omniscient, all-sufficient, all-powerful God, he doesn't need hindsight. He sees things in advance. And sometimes I come to him and say, Lord, would you please do this? And he says, no, Ryan, because that's actually bad for you. I heard it said this way one time. God always gives you what you want or something better. It might not be better in the way that you imagine, but it's always better in the ways that actually count. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed that God was ready, willing, and able to come to their aid. And this gave them courage. And it should do the same for us. Oh, child of God, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you are crushed, if you are crushed in spirit right now, the Lord is not uncaring or aloof or unconcerned. He is close and willing to come to your aid. But God was not just working and worthy and willing. Don't mock me too much for the willing. Back in the days of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he is still exactly the same today. And we get a wonderful glimpse of that in this story. Remember, when the young men are thrown into the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar exclaims this, verse number 25, Look, I see four men not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. I think this is a literary clue that is meant to point us forward to not the son of, of the gods, but to the work the son of the God would do on behalf of his people. Uh, that gets further expanded in verse number 27. Look there. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw, look at this, this is amazing, that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their head was singed, their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. In other words, this was not a half measure. This was not just kind of like a somewhat deliverant. They weren't just like second degree burns or, you know, they really smelled the smoke. No, they were completely untouched by the fire. This deliverance was total. And this causes the pagan king to explain. For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Amen. There is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Yes, 2020 has been rough. This pandemic has been frightening and fatiguing and confusing. The tension and the division has been disheartening. Our election cycle has been brutal. But if you have trusted in Jesus, you have been saved. You have been delivered in all the ways that really count. No, the Lord did not remove you from the fire. He did not take you out of the trial. He did not remove you from the difficulty. But, but like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he went with you through the fire. And he will enable you to come out unscathed. We can be fearless in a fearful world. Here's why. Because through Christ, there is nothing left to 
fear. On the cross, Jesus dealt with our greatest enemies. He rescued us from the things that really had the power to eternally harm us. It's not that these things aren't hard that we're going through. It's not that they're not difficult, but we have to maintain an eternal perspective. Jesus Christ came to deliver us in the ways that really matter. And because of that, because of that, as the Bible says, not a hair on your head will perish. Even if they kill you, even if they take you and put you before synagogues, even if they cast you out, not a hair on your head will perish because Jesus took the brunt of the punishment that we deserve. We can rest. We can be safe because Jesus delivers. So you say, Pastor Ryan, what does that look like tomorrow? I hear you. I need to have courage, and I am afraid if I'm honest. What does courage in my life look like Monday through Saturday? Let me give you just a couple things as we close. The first one is this. Look at God. Remember, these three young men's um, fearlessness was fueled by faith. They knew who their God was. They knew that he was working. They knew that he was worthy. They knew that he was willing. They knew their God. And brothers and sisters, if you follow Jesus, you have unlimited, unprecedented access to know him through his word. Let me just encourage you this week. Why don't you begin to build a biography of God? Grab a psalm. Just pick a psalm at random. And start working through that psalm and get a pen in your hand and start writing down all the things that you note about God. The way to battle fear is with faith, but you can't believe in a God that you don't know. So begin to biography him, to know him. Look at God. And the second and final thing is this. Talk to God. And if he is willing to help us, which he is, we should bring our fears to him. He's on the edge of his seat, remember? He's ready to jump up and run to our aid. He longs, he delights, he yearns to hear the cries of his people. It doesn't matter if you pray just right or you ask for just the right thing. He is our loving father and ready, willing, and able to run to our aid. Let's not be a prayerless people. Because when we're prayerless, it may reveal a poor view of who God is. He doesn't care, so why even ask? But the Lord does care. So let's not just look at God in the scripture. Then as we see him clearly, let's turn our attention to him and just begin to talk to him. Oh Lord, I need you. If I am to live by faith in this fallen world, if I am to battle my fears with faith, then I need to know who you are and talk to you and pour out my fears to you. Uh, we can be courageous, brothers and sisters, but it's not because we're particularly bold individuals. We can be courageous. It's, it's not because we're the bravest or the greatest risk takers or have uh, all kinds of tolerance for risk. No, we can be brave because God has revealed himself to us and the fuel of fearlessness is faith. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord. Help us to be people of faith. I know there are some in our congregation that are fearful for all kinds of different reasons. But Lord, you have spoken in your word and you have given us this beautiful example of these three Hebrew young men who in the midst of a challenging, challenging, dark situation were able to cling to you in faith 
and you showed yourself strong through them. Oh Lord, would you help us to be people marked by that type of courage? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.